The Crux of the Matter, Episode 37, Six Books Every Pastor Should Read. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hello, Scott. How are you doing today? Hey, it's uh, it's a beautiful morning. Yeah. Is is it cool up there or is it still hot up it in is. Northern California? It's, it's cool. It warms up still in the afternoon. But uh, yeah, I think it was like 55 when I got up this morning, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's feeling pretty nice out down here too. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how different or alike our climates are since you're quite a bit further North yep. in California. Yep. We're good. We're good. But, uh, Great. it is a, a full day for both of us, I expect. So, uh, yeah. just a couple, uh, couple housekeeping or sort of follow up things before we uh, get into our main topic here. Uh, first off, just a, a, a wee bit of follow up. Last week, we talked about, uh, the Pope's visit. Um, and I thought it would be worth our while to uh, read one quotation from Pope Francis and his uh, UN speech, uh, just because it it mentions at least a little bit some of the stuff that we were concerned about from last week. Let me read it for you. The common home of, of all men and women must continue to rise on the foundations of a right understanding of universal fraternity and respect for the sacredness of every human life. Of every man and every woman, the poor, the elderly, children, the infirm, the unborn, the unemployed, the abandoned, those considered disposable because they are only considered as part of a statistic. This common home of all men and women must also be built on the understanding of a certain sacredness of created nature. End quote. Yeah. So well, good for him. Yeah, I mean, it's something. I'm, I'm still not uh, jumping up and down for joy with it, but, uh, but he, he did at least kind of recognize that there was a category and that when you're talking about the sacredness of life, that it, it is uh, beginning with conception to, uh, to death, to natural death, and that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. One wonders sure. if he's, if he's listening to the press um, or you know, like to the Catholic media that might have been saying and blogging that why isn't the Pope referring to these. Uh, to these issues at all, or he may have all along planned to, to just address it before the UN and right. his speech to Congress, he wanted to do something different. He's yeah. entitled, I suppose, to do that. I'm glad that Could he be. did bring up the unborn. Yeah, at least at least to that extent. So credit yeah. where yeah. credit where credit is due along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. We didn't talk about it ahead of time, Scott, but did you have anything that you're uh, teaching on this week that you wanted to mention at this point or not? Yeah, no, sure, okay. sure. No, I no, I thought of something. Um, usually, we we discuss what we're going to do in the show before we start recording. When we didn't this particular thing, but right. um, yesterday was Saint Michael and All Angels Day. Yesterday, the day before we're recording, uh, which was September 29th. and I've always kind of had a fondness for that festival. And, um, at, I teach here at Concordia University in Irvine, California, and we had a, a special celebration in the afternoon out in a, uh, the college has a garden and we, we were out in the garden and it was all the brass, uh, from the school's orchestra and one of the choirs and we had roast goose, uh, smoked goose <laughs> and Sounds we good. had, 
Yeah. I mean, there was, there was food there, you know, there was uh, great music. It was a beautiful day. We were in a garden is the first annual St. Michael's day celebration for Concordia. Hmm. And uh, so what I did was I taught on angels. <laughs> Fun. Uh, that was a long preface. Yeah. So I taught on angelology and demonology and uh, told, you know, uh, not only talked about what the scriptures teach, but we talked about demon possession and talked a little bit about sure. pop culture and so, stuff like that. So it was it was quite an interesting day, at least for me. And I had a couple of students who uh, seemed to be very intrigued. One wants to talk to me. So, I mean, it was a, um, you know, you, you, there are some topics that resonate and I knew this one would. So it was good. Sure. Time. How about well, you? I mean, you're you talking teach? about demons. What could be better than that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I'm continuing my uh, slow trek to Genesis. And the, the verse that we kind of got um, I got engrossed in this morning was Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And a couple things were, were really fascinating about that. And the first is, is that God takes takes the man and and gives him a gives him a place, puts him in the garden. So there's a a, a a station, an almost an office that he is given there to be working to to be in this garden, and then uh, and then he but he's given a purpose there, and the purpose is to work it and to keep it. And and the word the word work avad uh, is really um, to work or even to serve. Or to care for, um, and the word uh, and the word keep, uh, shamar is or, or shamar, yeah shamar um, is is really to uh, to watch or to preserve. Now, what kind of fascinated me about that was this concept that Adam is put into the garden to work, which kind of implies, well, maybe more than implies that uh, that this garden is not a completed thing the creation is finished but it that doesn't mean that it's that it's done very often i think that we think of the garden as sort of a snapshot okay at this ah, moment sure. punct now everything is perfect and pristine and if i can only you know if we can look back and we can get back to that moment that that photograph then uh, then everything will be great sort of a repristination almost um, but I would, I would argue that based on this text and many others that, that it is created as dynamic. I mean, it, it, that he is to work it and to, and to preserve and care for it, which means that it's going to change. Um, and if we're looking at, um, if we're, if we're looking at our lives, either individually or as ecclesially, um, as, as trying to return to some past moment, as if that is the, the point, then we're looking in the wrong direction. That, uh, that, that even creation itself is always moving forward and changing. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, look at look at you getting all linguistic and everything. That's I awesome. know. Just every <laughs> once in a every once in a while, I just you know not, I don't want to go crazy here, but it's fun. 
Well, I definitely want to. I definitely want to refresh my Hebrew. My um, and I've I've never really studied the Septuagint. I, I yeah. Don't, I, I own I own one, but I don't think I've ever really <laughs> sat down well, and walked through a book with it. Yeah. Well, and I, and I haven't either. I mean, it's not not quite this intentionally, and that's been that's been fun to kind of bounce back and forth between the between the Greek and the Hebrew. There, that was Hebrew, of course. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's kind of kind of been interesting. I've enjoyed that. But we have a uh, we have a, a a big kind of crazy fun topic this morning, and our topic for today is six books every pastor should read. Now, if I recall, Scott, this was kind of sort of your idea. So, kind of set us up for this. What are why? What are we trying to do okay. here? Okay. So, um, Todd and I have often talked about uh, how our pastors are trained. And we, we love our seminary and we love this seminary education of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And uh, we're very fond of our professors that we had. But, you know, pastors are always needing to learn and grow. And you can only study so much at seminary and you always need to be improving your, your skills and so on. So we, we just often come up with, you know, books that we think that pastors should read, basically things that, that will in some way help you as a, as a, as a parish minister, uh, they may or may not be theological. Um, you know, we believe in having an educated clergy, not just uh, theologically educated, but in the in the natural sciences and in the liberal arts and so forth. So uh, that was sort of the genesis. And I was just thinking, let's just do a list. Sometimes it's kind of fun on a podcast to do a list. And I picked six only just because Six is the number of incompletion, and we want this to <laughs> right. symbolize that, you know, this list could go on indefinitely. And, um, you know, the six that we're going to suggest to you today, Todd's picking three and I'm picking three, are not necessarily the only six books that pastors should read um, but or the only six that we think you should read. But uh, these are six that are at least um, in the forefront of our minds is what we think will help pastors in today's world. There you go. And, yeah. and, and I think it's also worth mentioning that this is, that this is presuming that, um, that there's, that many of these other works, uh, that have been covered in, in your, in seminary education are, are there. Uh, the Bible, the Book of Concord, Walter's Long Gospel. Um, we could probably include, um, Geertz's The Hammer of God. Um, I'm sure that there are many others that can be in that that list. But I think that maybe we could even say that this is the list of six six books that every pastor should read that he probably didn't read at seminary or something like that. Yeah, that's a good qualifier. We you know, we're not we're not ignoring the the meat and potatoes. Right. Um, but we just figure it should be go it should go without saying that you've read some of these these fundamental texts and that you continue to refer to them and continue to study your small catechism and so forth. Amen. Um, so we're we're saying with that having been said, um, you know, let's talk about what are some other books that are out there, new and old, that we think are in some way beneficial for a pastor to read. Do you want to yeah. go first? Uh, sure, I'll go first. Um, the first one on my list, I did actually read in seminary, although I don't think that it was that um, that commonly read in seminary. And the name of that book is The Democratization of American Christianity by Nathan Hatch. Um, this is a book that was uh, introduced to me by Professor Richard Muller, um, although uh, I think he may have had it. He may have gotten hooked on this book from someone else who's currently the president at one of our seminaries. 
Um, and the point of this book is it, what what uh, Hatch does is longtime um, professor of church history at Notre Dame, um, and I think is I think may now be at Yale. Now that I say that, um, what he does is is trace several church bodies of the United States and uh, and look at how how the American the American experience, I'll say, uh, shaped these church bodies, um, and particularly in in connection with the concept of authority um, that uh, that in in the Americas you have a very uh, anti authoritarian sort of sort of bent to it, uh, a highly pragmatic bent. I mean, I'm talking 18th, 19th century here. Um, a highly pragmatic bent. And so the idea of, for example, an educated clergy that can kind of come in and sit on their laurels and, and be the, uh, uh, be the expert in a given community, um, kind of, kind of has been a struggle in many respects, certainly was in the American frontier. And, um, and then you add to that the kind of the political climate uh, of the of the French Revolution, the American Revolution, and all these things sort of pointed to the fact that that having a um, having a, a ministerium, having pastors, and having a a church structure that was very um, that was very top down, like the Church of England, for instance, uh, was was very antithetical to the American experience. And that one of the real trials that American churches faced is how do we order ourselves in this new world? And, and, and this book, I think, gives, gives a great insight for pastors, particularly into understanding that I may come into a congregation and sort of think that I'm the expert. And because I can, because I say something, everyone should just jump at what I say. But that's just not the way people think in America and have not been so for a very, very long time. So I, I, I have found this to be a very influential book for me. That's great. Have you, is it one of those books that you've ref, uh, read again and gone back yeah, to? Yeah, I have. I've gone back to it three, four, five times probably since graduating. So it's a keeper. Great. That's for yeah, sure. Great. How about you? Give, give us one well, of yours. Okay. So um, the first one I'm going to recommend is kind of on the verge. You said that you read, you actually did read that Hatch book in seminary. Um, I read this book while I was a seminary student too, but I didn't read it for a class and it wasn't a professor or anything. It was just my own interest that I, that I purchased this book and it's called postmodern times, a Christian guide to contemporary thought and culture. And you may know this. Uh, you certainly know the author, uh, Gene Edward V Jr. wrote, wrote this and it's, it's a number of years old. I mean, I I'm looking at it now and it's 1994. Um, but, um, I've, read and reread sections of it uh, many times over these last several years. And it's really helped me to understand this complex subject of postmodernism. Right. And I realized that, that I am, and I think many of our pastors are modernists. Uh, that is to say, we, we are rationalists, yep. uh, but many of the people in our congregations uh, tend to be postmodern. And that is, more like romanticism or they're, they're, you know, they're governed by 
they find truth in things in, like intuition and emotion and not simply by rational argumentation. Right. And right. just understanding how this has seeped into every corner of our culture, from architecture to literature to music to theology. Uh, I think Veet does just a masterful job of, of covering the subject. And I've, like I said, I've referred to it and read bits of it again many times over the years. Yeah. So I highly recommend it. Have you read that one? I have. I have. That's a, that's a really good, uh, it's a good one. And, and I mean, that whole topic of, of postmodernism is, is, I don't know, in some ways it's sort of a, um, it's sort of a hip topic, which, um, yeah, you know, it's sort of a popular topic to attack and to and to go after. Uh, but at the same time, it is one of these things where because it's just it's nailing jello, it's very difficult to really wrap your brain around it, far less the rest of yourself. Um, yeah. And so the more ways that we can try to come at that as pastors, I think the better we can understand our better we can understand our people. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've read a number of books about postmodernism, and there's a couple that really stand out, and and this one still does for me. Yeah. There's another one, and this isn't one of my choices. I'm going to just throw this in real quick. There's another one by Kevin DeYoung. He's not a Lutheran. He's a he's a confessional Presbyterian, I think. I mean, like he's a Calvinist. Yep. And um, his book is called "Why We're Not Emergent" from two guys who should be. And um, the emergent movement is basically postmodernism, the evangelical movement on on postmodernism. And right. so his book is basically why we're not postmodernists. And, you know, that the, there is universal truth and, and um, you know, we can't, you know, community. He, he points out that there are some positives in postmodernism. And I think my favorite quote is something to the effect that postmodernism is good in the ways that it corrects modernism. But postmodernism is bad in the ways that it overcorrects modernism. Yep. yep. And so I think that's kind of a helpful, helpful book as well. Yep. That's a so good what's one. your number two? My number two is um, uh, Speaking of Sadness by David Karp. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this book when we dealt with uh, depression and mental illness, but it is worth mentioning again. Karp is a sociologist and uh, and what he does with this book is does a – uh, kind of a sociological analysis of the meaning of mental illness and mm. of how pe how people's self understanding changes as a result of mental illness. Carp uh, himself suffers suffers from clinical depression, so that's kind of his lens, um, which I obviously can resonate with. Um, but in uh, in this book is Carp's not a Christian, or at least not it it doesn't come through in this book. But I have found found this to be one of the most useful sort of a quasi clinical approaches to to understanding mental illness that I have that I have found. I've I've read this many many times and have given this or referred this to people uh, more times than I can count. I think I've bought and given away a dozen copies of this book probably over the years. And this is a perfect example of a topic that pastors deal with constantly in one capacity mm -hmm. or another. Uh, and yet, at least in in my experience, and I don't think it's particularly different at St. Louis now, um, you, you may have one or two Christian counseling classes and and they're trying to deal with the whole gambit of of that field 
so this is this is kind of an area that that you're not going to get much at in seminary. So it's a good one. Do you yeah. know that? Do you yeah. know this book, Scott? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you you referred me to it a number of years ago, and and yeah. um, or at least a few years ago, and I read it. And I agree. I, I think it just—it's just a very helpful book for understanding this this important subject that every pastor is going to deal with, and many pastors deal with themselves. Uh, yeah. wrestle yeah. with depression themselves. Yep. Good. All right. What's your number so, two? Okay. Well, I've been debating even as we've been talking about what I'm going to do for my other two, and um, I'm going to go with one called The Shallows. It's called. Uh, it's it's. Title is The Shallows, and the subtitle is What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains by Nicholas Carr. And it started from an article that Carr wrote for Atlantic Monthly, and his article was entitled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? <laughs> and what's that, which yes. is a great title, right? Right. And so what he what he argues is that our use of the internet and media is causing us to it's changing our brains. You know, it's all about the quote unquote neuroplasticity. You know right. that the brain does change. We've learned, and it, you know the the circuitry of your brain and how your brain is wired, and that then affects your thinking. So it's kind of a circular thing. What you think about a lot. Just like a muscle, if you use a muscle a lot, that muscle will grow stronger and then you can continue to use it more. Well, your brain does that too. So if you think in certain patterns and think in certain ways, then your brain will get better at that and maybe get weaker at other things. And he's saying that what what the internet and what our constant distractedness, we're living in a state of constant distractedness. He said that he says that that is making it more difficult Physi- physiologically more difficult for people to think deeply about a subject. We're good at shallow thinking and broad thinking, right. but we're not great. We're getting worse at this deep penetrating thought on a single subject, concentrated thought. Hmm. And it's just a really interesting book that I think pastors would be find interesting because we spend a lot of time communicating with people uh, either in writing or orally. And we wonder sometimes if we're getting through and if the message is getting through and people, you know, we might say, well, you know, attention spans are changing. Well, there's truth in that. And, and what there might actually be physiological truth in that. And it's not just that people are learning bad habits, but that these bad habits are changing literally the way their brain is structured. Hmm. And this hmm. does not bode well for those of us who are oral, uh, you know, who, who, focus on books. <laughs> right. um, and so, so anyway, it's just a fascinating uh, little glimpse into how neuroscience, um, what neuroscience may have to say to us as communicators, as preachers. So I recommend The Shallows. What the is there a video version of that? Program. Something I can find on YouTube maybe? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. There might be just, there just might be. Yeah. You know, can you, can you give it to me on slides or, you know, give right. me, give me bullet points. Don't, give me don't, bullet don't points. Don't me actually. Right. Yeah, I I haven't read it, so I'm uh, I'm I've heard you mention it a few times over the last couple of years, but I've never read it. So I'll, uh, uh, but I'm I'm on a I'm on a book buying moratorium for a little while. I have to I have to get some of these books off of my desk before I can buy any more. So I'll uh, I'll put that on my wish list. Well, my third book. Hey, yeah, go ahead. Uh, when you finish reading a book, books like this, do you keep every book you buy? Um. I keep most of them. I probably shouldn't, but, uh, but I do. It's, uh, yeah, that's probably a whole nother topic. 
why uh, yeah, why pastors are hoarders. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, my uh, third I'm, one, yeah. uh, my third book is uh, is is another one that I I'm going to guess that many of our listeners have read, but uh, but I I definitely think is a is a must read, and that is the Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And and I I'm not suggesting this because it is uh, because I'm a nerd and because I just like nerdy books, although that's all true, um, but because of the character of this story that this is not a this is not a story where you know where it, it's not a boy meets girl story it's not a it's not a nice simple three part story this is a this is a story that uh, that has many parts. It has many, many heroes. It has many demons, if you will. Um, and, and you can find, um, I'll say Christological characters on almost every page in different ways. Um, but what, what particularly struck me the last time I read this book are these, I mean, it's three books, but it kind of, I'll refer to it as one book, um, is, uh, is that the? I guess you could say if there's one protagonist, it's probably Frodo Baggins. Uh, that Frodo, after going through this incredible journey um, on behalf of the whole world, really uh, to to save the world by the destruction of this one ring, uh, that after the journey, he is uh, he continues to be wounded. That he is, uh, that he is changed in the, in the journey and that there comes a point where he longs to, uh, uh, where he longs, he longs for brighter shores. And, uh, and it's, and it's always interested me that, uh, one of the, this kind of goes along with your, uh, the shallows things that, that one of the things that we as pastors struggle with very often is impatience. And that, uh, and that I want things, uh, I want things fixed. I want them, I want things the way that I want and think that they need to be. And I want them now. Uh, and that, and that what a part of what we need to sort of shore up and learn or relearn is the concept of endurance. And, uh, and that that, uh, that that endurance is one of the characteristics of, of our Lord. And therefore of our Lord's ministry and therefore of ours. And endurance is, uh, just like we, uh, we tend to learn very shallowly now and not go deep. Endurance means, uh, keeping at, keeping at the vocation which we have given and not giving up even in the face of hardship. Uh, and I don't know of any book that, that tells that story better than, than Tolkien. Uh, terrific, terrific recommendation. Probably, um, I think that that has been voted in, at least by reader polls, English speaking reader polls as the greatest work of fiction in the English language. Yeah. Um, at least in some polls that I have seen. So excellent. I'm glad yeah. you picked a non, or glad you picked fiction, uh, one fiction choice. Yeah. Um, we should do an all I, fiction I, list sometime. We should. We really should. I, I, struggled, like I said, to try and discern what, what, uh, what different books to use. And, and there's a couple that I would definitely, a couple of novels I would definitely put on this list that didn't make the cut today. Right. Right. 
So are we up for my next one? This is my last one, I think. Number three for you. Um, Yeah, number three for me. And and this is a newer book. Well, newer. It's 2011. And it's not a classic. There are things about this book that I don't like. But um, let me explain why I think it's important to read. It's called Why Men Hate Going to Church. Have you ever seen this one? Did I ever tell you about this one? David Murrow, M-U-R-R-O-W, Why Men Hate Going to Church. A lot of our churches have uh, a shortage of men. You know, the the women and the children come to church, but but the husband and father stays home. That's true in a lot of families in mainline churches. And why is that so? And he says in his, at the beginning of the book that Christianity is the only world religion that's like that. Uh, hmm. Judaism, uh, uh, in Judaism, you do not see that. You do not see that in Islam. Um, he, basically, he says that, you know, Christianity is the only major world religion, and it hasn't always been that way uh, in Christianity. It's just more in the last, I don't know, whatever, century. Hmm. And so it's a book where he talks about the feminization of the church. How, uh, you know, everything from, he talks about everything from the type of vestments you wear, the type of church decor, everything is pastels, everything, you know, we talk about love, uh, we use the bridal imagery, um, you know, right. sometimes sometimes we make fun of uh, our evangelical friends, lovingly, you know, making fun of our evangelical friends with contemporary Christian music and contemporary worship songs that all seem to be love songs to Jesus. These are Jesus is my girlfriend type songs. Yep. And uh, the, there is an element of that within many church, many of our churches. Um, and, and how can we masculinize in a biblical way the, the gospel? Uh, you know, I, that sounds terrible. I, I didn't express that well. But he, he points out sociologically and theologically some of the trends that, that have led to the feminization of the church that turn off men, basically, yeah. and that that is one of the factors in why men have a hard time going to church and, stay, and being faithful. Yeah. So oh, what a great it, topic. You, it's, I think it's important. I think, I think, you know, I was going to do something else on the feminist movement, but I think that this one is, comes at it from a different, from a different place and gives some very practical tips. I don't agree with all of his suggestions for things to do because he, you know, he, he wants us to use rock bands and things like that. But I, I would say that if you read just the first two thirds of the book and, and read about his analysis, I think you'll get your own ideas about ways that you can express the gospel and still talk about Jesus as compassionate, but also talk about the virtues of courage. You talked about Jesus' steadfastness in The Lord of the Rings. That's a very masculine novel, uh, right. The Lord of the Rings. That's it is. very manly. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, that this uh, this topic reminds me of another of another book that uh, I won't make as a as a pick, but um, but is at least worth mentioning, and that's a that's a book called Missing from Action: Vanishing Manhood in America by M. Weldon Hardenbrook. I don't know if you've ever run across this book, Scott. No, this no. book is right up your alley, man. Um, it's 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 old. It's 1987. Um, there is a, 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 a kind of a, a slightly updated version in 1996, but uh, essentially what the what the author does, he's an Orthodox priest, and what he does is look at um, popular media fi- um, popular media pictures or men from the last hundred years. And, and, and uses them as sort of a lens of how the perspective on manhood has changed in 20th century America. So you go from Cary Grant 
to the Duke, to Clint Eastwood, to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and and uh, and sort of move this move this way. Uh, it's really a remarkable book. I actually read it in high school, and uh, and have I've I've kind of turned back to that book many times as well. It's worth reading. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just put it on my Amazon wish list. Yeah, for sure. and you can find a used copy of that for almost nothing. So yeah, know, it'll cost yeah, you four bucks to get with shipping. So right. Right. So that's a good awesome. one. Well, well, we have a, a lot of list here. Now, I want to uh, challenge our our listeners to uh, give us some suggestions because I would love to do a, a follow-up show to this, Scott. That would be uh, the books that our listeners thought thought should be read that you haven't read in seminary. Um, so if you, uh, if you have, uh, have any ideas or anything you'd like to see added to this list, you can find us at thecruxofthematter.net. You can find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 37. Uh, you can email us at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. And uh, I would sure encourage you to do so. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter and every every other place under the sun, all of those shallow places. Um, yeah. so, uh, so I hope you will do so because I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of room to consider in this whole process. Great. So, yeah. Good. Good, good, good. Well, um, we're just about done, but we have to talk about joy bringers. So what's your joy bringer for this, for this week, Scott? What's on your list? Sure. So, well, I usually mention a book, but since we talked about books as our topic, I decided to go with something completely different. And today it's a hymn. It's the hymn that we sang yesterday in our St. Michael celebration it's, mm-hmm. um, from the 16th century by Philip Melanchthon. Ah, it's yes. number 522 in our, in our Lutheran service book called Lord God, to thee we give all praise. And uh, just one of the stanzas, it says, They never rest nor sleep as we. Their whole delight is but to be with thee, Lord Jesus, and to keep thy little flock, thy lambs and sheep. And it's just a lovely, lovely eight stanza hymn, and uh, uh, brought me joy today, or wow. yesterday particularly. There you have it. And that's a and that's a great hymn. We sang it on Sunday. I did... Uh, did St. Michael's Day on Sunday, and uh, we, we did that and uh, had, had a lot of interesting comments on the sermon afterwards because it, uh, you know, because it uses a lot of military, military yeah. imagery and had the, uh, the men of the congregation seem to appreciate that very much per our earlier topic. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, just- my, my joy bringer is, uh, is kind of odd, but, uh, but that's okay. And my joy bringer is El Capitan. What you may ask is El Capitan? Well, it's a couple of things. First of all, it is a mountain in, uh, in Yosemite National Park. Uh, it's also a, uh, uh, the location of, uh, of where James T. Kirk fell off the mountain and had to be saved by Spock. And I think the, uh, Oh, the fifth Star Trek movie, but neither of which are why I'm picking it. I'm picking it because that is the name of the new operating system for Mac OS, which is, oh my. Uh, which is released today. So uh, a Mac operating system, Mac OS 10.11. And, uh, and it's got a lot of really, really cool features, um, uh, speeds things up, thins things down. They have a new system font called San Francisco, which is, a uh, uh, which does my nerdy, uh, my nerdy font brain good. And, uh, and, and I am really loving playing with that. So that's my pick for today. It's a, uh, it's a lot of Great. fun. Great. 
Anything else for our dear listeners, my friend? No, I think that uh, we've covered everything we meant to cover today. I think we have done it all. And again, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we will see you next time.